You are listening to The Partner Podcast, relevant information to enhance the careers and improve the lives of partner-level attorneys. Produced by The Attorney Search Group, we grow law firms and accelerate attorney careers. Visit us on the web at attorneysearchgroup.com. Hi, this is Scott Love, and thanks for joining me on The Partner Podcast. Today's guest on the show is Cole Silver. Cole Silver serves as the Chief Client Officer for Blank Rome. In this role, Cole provides consultative client relationship support to the firm and its clients, helping to identify and implement strategies and tactics to improve client satisfaction, expand into new areas of service, and ensure an outstanding client experience. With over 25 years of experience as a general counsel to several high-growth companies, Cole brings an insider's view of clients' key legal concerns and what they want and expect from their outside counsel. He has authored books and trained numerous professionals in the areas of client development and service. And I've got with me on the show today, Cole Silver, an old friend of mine. And Cole is going to talk about how lawyers can get and keep more clients. Cole, I'm excited to have you here today. Thanks for joining me on the show. Scott, thanks for having me. Now, Cole, I've known you for a long time. I mean, years, probably at least 10 years. And I've seen you go through different variations of your career, but always focusing on the same thing, dealing with client development, uh, helping partners especially grow their practices. And I know that within your current role within Blank Rome, you're getting involved on the line level with that. So you've got this great insight that a lot of people just don't have. So what do you think kind of the overarching theme is related to partners being held back from getting more clients and growing their practices? What do you think some of those things are that keep partners from reaching their full potential? So Scott, just uh, like any other person, I think that most of the time, the things that are holding us back are ourselves and our beliefs. Mm. You know, if you believe that selling is uh, begging, if you believe that selling is a bad and nasty word, if you believe that, you know, I'm so good that clients should call me without me doing any outreach, then you have these negative stereotypes and beliefs that are going to hold you back. And we all have them. Right? We all have that voice in our brain that is negative chatter that says we're not good enough or someone's going to reject me or I've tried it before and it didn't work. You know, so the resiliency of even trying and then getting put down also uh, prevents us from achieving what we really want. Because, look, we all want more money and wealth, want more security, we want more freedom. We would love the, you know, the opportunity to say no to a client who's obnoxious and doesn't pay us on time. And we'd love mm-hmm. to be a big rainmaker because we see the way that rainmakers live. So the only thing that I can say to uh, your audience is you've got to look inside as to your belief system and see that's the thing that's holding you back. So that takes a lot of self-awareness, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. And, um, you know, it's really funny. Um, I'm sure that when you're interviewing a candidate in your business, you can tell if that person is going to be enthusiastic and a 
you know, a valuable uh, resource to a new law firm. And just like when I talk to a lawyer for the first time and I start asking them, you know, like, why don't you have a book? What do you think about selling? Why should I even think about hiring you if I'm a client? I can tell sort of right away the belief systems that people have about, you know, the whole process of business development. It's a, um, it's sort of an energy. And so if you, as you say, you examine your self-beliefs and and self-awareness, you'll see that truthfully, the only thing holding you back is yourself. So where do you think that comes from? Do you think it comes from our formative years? Is it a self-esteem issue? Is it just what we've experienced, like you mentioned before, getting rejected? Is it maybe just not thinking we're good enough that we just don't feel like we deserve to be successful? Do you think other people might kind of claim, well, I'm an introvert, hence I cannot sell uh, work. I'm just not the life of the party, which I know to be false because I've met a lot of introverts that have very successful practices, as I'm sure you have. Where do you think this all comes from? So I think you've pretty much nailed every sort of excuse or <laughs> or, or reason that, that it could come from. So it's very, very personal. But I will tell you this. If you want it bad enough, if you can change your negative beliefs to positive beliefs, if you have the persistence and the patience, I believe that anybody can become good at business development. But you really got to want it and you got to overcome whatever fear or negative beliefs you have, just like the things that you just mentioned. But you've got to desire it. I mean, I'll just give you an example. When I I work for a big law firm now, so obviously there are a lot of service partners who don't bring in, you know, any business. And I'll Uh say to them, when I had my own firm, if I didn't bring in business, I did not eat. And that factor overrode every other fear that that I had. So, because I really like eating. So, (laughs) you know, I think that the guys and and the gals in the smaller firms, they get it. You want to, you know, eat and succeed and and do all the things that you want to do in your life. You've got to be good at business development. So let me ask you this then. Do you think, and here, here, and I'll preface it with this vignette. Years ago, there was a white collar partner. I was a junior partner and we met for a happy hour and we're talking about his practice and he'd never even considered the idea of going out and selling work. And he's not with that firm anymore. He's not in big law anymore. He just figured he was going to get spoon fed everything. And here I am, the non-ex-lawyer, telling him, write articles, give speeches, uh, look for referral partners, develop strategic lines. I was actually kind of giving him a mini uh, seminar on client development. And he just never considered that. And I was absolutely shocked. Do you think some people, they just get comfortable being given work that they just don't think they need to go sell work? Yeah, I mean, I think certainly in a big firm, that's uh, been a part of it. Uh, I call those people catfish because they're feeding off the bottom. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm, it's, mm-hmm. it's very, it's sort of sad and they know it because once their case is over, what they have to do is they have to go knock on people's doors and say, hey, do you have any extra work? Right. So that was more prevalent in the past, um, Scott. I think today, very few people get comfortable. There's always an underlying fear. So for example, a guy came to me the other day, he was 50 years old, doesn't have a book. And he said to me, Cole, I know I'm at risk, but I just can't do it. And I mm-hmm. said, okay, I understand. If you want to examine why and you know try to overcome those, let's talk. But otherwise, you know, for whatever reason, Scott, all the things that you talked about, 
as well as the comfort issue, some people can just not get out of their own way. Yeah, that's too bad. It is, but, but let's put it this way. If you and I were to start a business, we wouldn't ask everybody in the business to be in sales. So why should yeah. law firms expect everybody to be in sales? My, right, th- my right. issue is that in a law firm, you should recognize the 20% that are good at it, give them all the resources they need to be even better at it, and take away any administrative functions that you are trying to give them because you want them on the street. So let me ask you this, kind of going down this path a little bit, do you see a law firm, is it a profession or is it a business? What's your take on that? Well, so, you know, I'm not an academic and I've never been a judge, so I wouldn't call it a profession. Uh, To me, it's a business. And uh, the primary reason it's a business is because without clients, there is no practice. Right, right. Okay. So tell me then, you were talking, we, I know before you mentioned that there are three questions that a partner needs to ask before he or she starts to market his practice. Tell me about those. Yeah, so I think it's really important to figure out, one, who it is you want to serve. You serve lawyers just like me, and we admire lawyers. We think they serve a mm-hmm. very important function in society. So we like lawyers and helping them. If you are a criminal lawyer, but you can't stand people that commit crimes and you think they should all go to jail, I uh, probably would not want to you know, pick that area of the law and market. Right. <laughs> so I think it's really important to figure out, one, who you want to serve, because law is right. a service business. Two, how does their life change as a result of you being involved with them? Like, what benefits do you bring to the table? Is it you know, just an expertise that helps them get out of trouble? Is it client service that gives them peace of mind? What is it that you do that changes their life for the better? And the last question I would ask is, what do you want your brand to be? You know, we all talk about branding in the sense of maybe a logo or the color of the font on your website or your blog, but that's not really a brand. A brand is how you are differentiated in the market to your target. And when people think about, I need help, and those people are in your target, and when they think about you, then you have a recognizable brand. So those are the three questions that I think you need to ask yourself. And I'll throw one more in, and that is, look at the big picture. And that is what you want your legacy to be. A lot of times when I coach lawyers, I say to them, you're 100 years old, and your local newspaper has just written an article about you. What would it say? Because when you do that and you sort of see a bigger picture than just, you know, how many hours I got to do today or how many originations I have to do this year, it gives you a a broader vision. And to me, that's really important. That's great. I think you hit the nail right on the head, Cole, in terms of action steps that a partner needs to take to kind of get started on this. What are some of the, the common characteristics that Rainmakers have in common and how can somebody emulate those as they start looking to develop their practice a little bit more? So one is uh, correlated to what we were talking about earlier, and that is beliefs. Uh, Rainmakers have a positive belief system. They don't think every time they reach out for somebody that that person won't call them back or will reject them. So, But they also recognize they have to be patient and it's a long game. So they may have to you know, wait. I mean, I, I know lawyers that have uh, cultivated relationships over three years, four years. So they're right. very patient. 
They give before they get. They offer a free mm-hmm. checklist, a free audit. They try to help the person maybe uh, get their kid into a school or get a new job. They're givers. They're not takers. Mm-hmm. They view the world from the client's perspective. Most lawyers are very myopic and look only internal and what I'm doing for you. But when you put yourself in the client's shoes and you understand their concerns, their worries, their problems, their aspirations, that's when you really, really get to a point of where you can provide great service. And uh, besides that, the last thing is persistence. You know, there's probably no more profession of persistence than law in the sense that if you're working on a big deal and you get hung up on the, you know, reps and warranties, you don't call everybody and say, all right, I'm done. Uh, If you're working on a litigation and you lose a motion to dismiss, you don't throw your hands up and say, I'm done. But when it comes to business development, lawyers, you know, after like two times of not getting a positive response from a prospect, they'll say, I'm done. Can you imagine what kind of recruiter you would be if after two chances you said, I'm done? You know, right. so pers- persistence is just so important, but it's persistence with value. It's not being a nag, but it's continually to, you know, drip value to your prospect to show you're the go-to lawyer for them when they need one. So let's talk about that for a little bit. And I really like the, the idea that you mentioned they give before they get. And I think that I, I can just imagine some people listening to professionals talk about client development and they just say, I just, I don't want to feel so selfish. I don't want to be a taker. I don't want to always try to get business. And I think what you mentioned can help people like that to focus on giving. And one of the things, and you know this, other people listening might not have known, I used to own a training company where I trained recruiting firms, professional services for many years. And I talked about focus on the contribution more than the commission. When all you're thinking about is what you're going to get and you're dealing with high-level prospects like I do, partners or soul readers, they can sense a selfish person and somebody who's unctuous and smarmy really quickly. But if I focus on making a contribution to them, then people are receptive to that. And I really like what you said, Cole. I think that's something that people listening should hang on to. Uh, Be persistent in terms of giving value. What are some specific ways you've seen people have been persistent in terms of giving value to prospective clients. So before I, I give you some ideas on value, I just want to fall back on what you said about you know how targets will know if you're just out for the business. Right. All buyers know that because it's a mm-hmm. feeling, right? And to me, mm-hmm. my biggest role when working with lawyers is to get them to think emotionally that When you can elicit a positive feeling from a prospect about how you're, you know, making them feel, you will win. Because, look, people pay for only two things in this world. One is to solve a problem, and two is to feel good. So as lawyers, that's what we do. We solve problems. But if you can make the client feel good about dealing with you and about themselves, then you really win. Now, let's just talk about the value question you asked, how you continually Uh drip value. That is specific to the person. So let's say you're my prospect, and I Uh know that you're a general counsel, you're looking for a new CFO, you're implementing new software, you're trying to get your kid into college, and you love uh, tennis. So I've done some homework on you. 
So I'm going to try and find, connect you with people who are CFOs who may be looking for a job. Mm-hmm. I understand that you have, you're implementing a new software program. So I might want to connect you with a tech person who is an expert at avoiding disruption when implementing a new program. Uh, I know your kid wants to get into college. I happen to know a trustee at the college. I'm going to make that phone call. Um, You like tennis? I'm going to send you a can of tennis balls with your kid's picture on it. So do you see that the value is both business and personal, but it's very, very specific because then what I'm saying to Scott is I know Scott. I know what his wants are. I know what his needs are. And more important, I know what his aspirations are. So it's that personal touch, getting to really understand people and what motivates them. Uh, Oh, absolutely. It has to be personal. So what's, uh, in terms of of putting this all together in structure, I know you're a big believer in having a marketing plan and having systems. And one of the things I think Blank Rome is getting from you is just a wealth of experience just from all the advisory work you've done. And I know that you've been paying attention to what truly gets business for successful lawyers. So I think they're lucky to have you, honestly. What are some ways that you would suggest somebody can take everything you have suggested and put it in a structured plan, a marketing plan? What are some tactical ways people can kind of get their arms around everything you're talking about? So, you know, most lawyers do not like marketing plans. And, you know, even companies, when they put together marketing plans or strategic plans, a lot of times the plan will sit on the shelf. So whatever plan you come up with, it has to be simple and actionable for you. So if even that means the back of the napkin. Now, obviously, I like spreadsheets that say every month what I'm going to do with a particular target or what I'm going to write or what I'm going to speak about. But it really has to pertain to you and the and the things that you have to do, and also to make it fun. So you know you want to do things that work for you within a specific time of day that won't won't be annoying because a lot of people you know they have hours and they have family commitments and things like that. But the bottom line, uh, Scott, is you just got to have a plan in writing because look, you wouldn't get in the car and drive across country without a map or a GPS system, right? So why would you take something as important as your career and not have a plan? So whatever plan it is, it's got to be in writing. You've got to look at it every day and make sure that you just do a a few little things every day or every week. Uh And you'll see that exponentially your relationships, your contacts, your comfort of doing these things will start to increase and you'll actually start to have fun. Right. I would absolutely agree with that. And I've read a lot of business plans and marketing plans. As you know, when a partner goes from firm A to firm B, at some point, the new prospective firm is going to ask them to fill out what's called an LPQ. And that stands for long, painful questionnaire. <laughs> it's, it's, really, uh, it's, it's really lateral partner questionnaire, but that's where they look at all the data on the past, uh, past few years collections and all that. But what's even most important, and I think a lot of firms are missing this, is the partner should also submit a business plan. What are the things they're going to do from today looking to the future? And I like what you mentioned, talking about specific relationships, uh, points of contact. I think it's always good for people to look at what have they done that can be leveraged for future use and how can they use their network of colleagues. And I wouldn't call it low-hanging fruit. I would call it highly probable strategic alliances. Uh, you know, What are some of the shared clients that they have? 
and, and really get very specific. What do you think about that? Do you think a partner should kind of be general about that? Or do you think they should put down who are the people they're going to reach out to within their plan and be very specific about that? Yeah, no, I, I think specificity is really important because we, we just get sidetracked if it's not legal work. So we need to give the marketing and business development work the same degree of attention and discipline that we give our legal work. Because if you look out 20, 30 years, the things that you that you do on the business development side are, are actually going to mean more to you than whether you were able to get a specific uh, you know, indemnity clause in your in your term sheet. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. again, you gotta look at the big picture. And the big picture today is without a book, you're at risk. Right. You're absolutely right. And so what, what are, are there any things that you would recommend a partner do that can kind of raise their profile, such as getting published, getting on podcasts, speaking at conferences? What are, what are some of the macro action steps they could take to really give them a lot of cachet and a lot of visibility within their space? So, you know, you and I are old enough to remember before the internet, when you actually had to publish the old fashioned way, you couldn't right. do a podcast, you couldn't write a blog, you couldn't go on LinkedIn. So it's much easier today to do content marketing and brand building than it ever was. So all the things that you mentioned are great ideas. I love LinkedIn. I think you, mm-hmm. LinkedIn, when used correctly, could be almost all of those things. It's just a powerful, powerful tool. And not only to build a brand, but also to get referrals. Like if I go to your site and I see that, you know, you're connected to Bob Smith, the managing partner of a big law firm, I'm going to call you and say, hey, Scott, I'd really like to meet Bob. Would you mind making a referral or can I use your name? Mm-hmm. And referral marketing is the most powerful marketing there is out there because most people, when they want a lawyer, they're going to ask their friends first before they go anywhere right. else. Right. So I really do like LinkedIn. But all of those things that you mentioned are great brand building and thought mm-hmm. about leadership and uh, stuff. But I would say that do, do what's fun. Like uh, you are a great speaker and you have chosen to not only be a speaker, but to do these podcasts and you like it. So I think that's why you're good at it because you like it. So, but if you're an introvert, as you mentioned before, and you only like to write, then I would stay away from speaking and podcasting and just do writing. But I definitely think that there's a lot of opportunity out there to build a brand very, very quickly than ever before. That's great, Cole. And just to the listeners on this show, look back through previous podcasts because I have some specific experts that talk on some of these things that kind of take it a little bit more on a granular level. So, Cole, what what are you doing in Blank Rome? I know that you're in charge of client development related to the partners growing their practices, but what are some of the things that you're actually getting in the weeds with your colleagues there at your firm? Well, um, so, you know, I'm all about revenue. So I, I try to bring in work myself. I do a lot of coaching and training, taking people um, exponentially up on their originations. I spend a lot of time with our clients, talking to them about their wants and needs and aspirations. And then I also do a lot of planning uh, for the lawyers and for practice groups. So I tried to bring, since I was the client for 25 years and a businessman working in, in companies, I tried to bring business disciplines and the voice of the client to what the law firm is doing. That's great, Cole. 
what a great opportunity for you. I know Blink Rome's a great firm. I've done business with them and made placements before, and I know they're lucky to have you. Thank you. And Cole, if, if, if people wanted to reach out to you, what's a good way they can ring you if they've got questions about what you do, or even to kind of pick your brain on some client development ideas? Yeah, sure. Uh, so obviously, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn, and I'll, I'll connect back with you. And my phone number is 609-306-8098. That's great, Cole. Thanks so much for being on the show today. We'll definitely have you back. You've got some great content, and I hope that everybody listening can definitely put into action some of the ideas that you suggested. Thanks so Thanks much, so Cole. Thanks for having me, Scott. Thank you. Thanks for joining me. And if you have ideas or recommendations for this podcast, please email me at scott at attorneysearchgroup.com. For more information about the Attorney Search Group and the services I offer as a sports agent for partners who want to find a better platform, visit me on the web at attorneysearchgroup.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.